Are you glad today for God's grace? If we are, let's give him praise, give him honor, give him praise. It is beautiful to be in the presence of the Lord today and to be able to sense just the presence of the Lord in all that we're doing. Uh, thank you, Eric and Olivia and all of those of you that led us in our worship today. It was beautiful. And thank all of you for being here again. Those of you that are joining us uh, by the uh, means of the online service, uh, we thank you for being a part of our service today. If you have your worship folder, if you will open it up, you will find there um, a thing called the uh, Capital City, and it's got bunches of lines on it where that you can fill in whatever. But I'd like for you to take just a moment before we look into the Word of God today. And we've been talking about this with a number of people uh, and trying to help them to understand how important their story is. And we've talked about this with uh, a number of people, but I want to give you, and I think it's going to be very important for you, uh, to understand as we go into this message today, will you turn it over on the back where uh, there are no lines, which means you can write whatever you want. If my youngest grandson was here, he gets bored uh, with my preaching, and he draws pictures. And so uh, if you draw pictures, uh, that's between you and, and, uh, and the Lord. Uh, I, you know, that's not between me and the Lord. But so here's what I'd like for you to do. 
Will you just take, will you take just, oh, are we okay? Do we need help here? Are we okay? God bless her. She's very ill. Father, bless this child today. Bless little Autumn. We pray that you will touch her and help her. Lord, thank you for their effort to be in service today. And Lord, you said, suffer the little children to come unto me and forbid them not. And so, Lord, we just pray for little Autumn right now and pray that you will touch her in a special way. And all God's people said, amen. All right, take this uh, little card and just in three sentences. Don't, don't do five, don't do ten, don't do a book. Just in three sentences. The first sentence. Will you describe in one sentence how your life was before you came to Christ? If Let me give you my sentence. I grew up in church. I knew a lot about God, but I did not know God. Just put one sentence. What was your life like before you came to Christ? What was your life like? And then secondly, and I'm going to move on because I, I was doing this with a pastor one time, and he was writing a book and I said, no, 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 you have to do this in three sentences. He said, God's done so much for me, I can't do it in three sentences. I said, here's the problem. People won't listen to it if it's a book. And so try to find it in one sentence. So the second sentence, what caused you to begin to think about really becoming a Christian, really becoming a person of faith? What was it? Just one sentence. Let me tell you mine. I met a guy my own age. I was about 13, 14 years of age. I met a guy my own age who was a wonderful Christian. It's about the only one that I knew at that time. And he began to talk to me about spiritual things. What was that one thing that caused you to begin to honestly think about becoming a Christian? And thirdly, how has your life changed since Christ has come into your heart? How has your life changed since Christ? Again, for me, I would just tell you the greatest decision I made, every good thing in my life including my wife, including my family, including my grandchildren, including our home, including the friends and ministry, every good thing that I have received in my life came as a result of that decision. So then you can turn it back over, and we're going to continue uh, this series uh, in the book of Ephesians. And may I just say to you that it seems like we are living in a world that is full of confusion and uncertainty. Would you not agree? There seems to be uncertainty. There seems to be confusion. There are many people who are not really sure of who they are. 
And, and, and it shows in some of the things that are, that are taking place out in, in the media and in, in many liberal think centers and trying to figure out not only who I am, but uh, what gender I am and, and this and that and the other thing. There seems to be a lot of confusion as, as to who we are, not, not sure where we're headed, and not sure that anyone cares. That's probably the hardest thing. There are some who have tried to say, and there were social scholars, that this time that we're living in, especially after and in the middle of this pandemic, that we are living in what's called a, an identity crisis. We really are living in and trying to figure out who we are, and because we're living in this identity crisis, familiar things that we've known and held on to for years seem to be fading, and change seems to be all around us. And it seems like that it's leaving many, many, many people confused. They try to find their identity and their accomplishments, but it leaves them empty. They try to find their identity in their jobs, and that's what makes it even harder when jobs begin to dry up or things begin to get more difficult, and uh, it, they, it just still seems to leave them empty. And some try to find it in their education. I love what Charles Williams said one time that he said that uh, there was an old man that was sitting just outside of college, and a young man came running out, and he had his, his uh, diploma in his hand, and he was shaking his, his diploma, and he said, I've got my A-B degree. I've got my A-B degree. And, and the old man looked at him and said, sit down here, son, and I'll teach you the rest of the alphabet. And uh, so it's kind of the way. It, it's not always just in education. Some are in their wealth, but then it leaves them empty. And I've found something that I think is really I've always kind of known it, but I think right now in this age of, of marching and protest and causes and all of this thing, there are some people who are trying to find their identity in the cause they're for whether it be a political clause or uh, an environmental cause or uh, whatever it is that they've found their identity and my identity is taking a, a stand for this cause. I'll never forget. I was with John Maxwell. This is a number of years ago when he was pastoring in California. And they were in the city of San Diego and they were getting ready to build a, a very large building and relocate up on this mountain close to, uh, it's a beautiful place, uh, this mountain that overlooked the ocean. And he asked if I'd like to go see it, and I said, sure, I'd like to go see it. Well, uh, if you only knew John, he was driving a brand new Lincoln Town car, got up to where we went in, and the gates were locked, and he didn't have the key, and so he was upset with himself, so he said, okay, come on. So we took that brand new Lincoln Town car down through the desert and all the way up, went up as far as we could get, and then we walked as high as we could get, and we got up there, and he said, isn't this beautiful? I said, yeah, I've never been on this kind of ride, I can tell you that. <laughs> this is, I've never seen this like this, but I said, yes, it's beautiful. A few months later, happened to be in Indianapolis. And John was in that meeting as well. And he came down to breakfast. And he seemed all sad. That's, that's a little unusual for John. And so I said, John, you okay today? 
No, not okay. I said, well, what's wrong? Well, I was just listening to the morning news. Yeah, I said, yeah, that can depress you. He said, no, it's worse than what you think. I said, okay, what's the problem? He said, there is a red speckled bird that has built a nest on our mountain. And I said, oh, good night. I said, well, John, you know, surely you can get somebody to get him out of there. No, you don't understand. They're protesters. And they're all around this tree. There's only one nest. And they're around this tree. And they're saying, due to environmental concerns, that nothing can happen on this mountain because the red speckled bird is there. I said, John, you, you really are kidding, right? He said, I wish I was kidding. He said, we're going to have to go through enver environmental lawyers. We're going to have to go through all kinds of things. We're going to have to spend millions of dollars to somehow find a protective place for the red speckled bird. And that was true. It delayed the project by two years, and it cost them millions of dollars, and they finally found some place that somebody could go in and pick up this nest and, and this little bird and, and take it somewhere. And uh, the red I just want you to know the red speckled bird lives today. So thank God for that. But the people who stood there trying to find their identity. Now, if you know what the red speckled bird is, God bless you. And if you're crying because the red speckled bird didn't have a house, uh, I mean, I understand, I think. But I just, there are some people who take these causes on and they think that if I have this cause, that it's going to help me find who I am. And it's not nearly so much about what the cause is. It's about trying to find out who we are. But no matter what they do and what they say, it is still just simply they find themselves empty. Now, in this book of Ephesians, we've been, this book has been written to help us to understand the identity that we are to deal with. And I'm not sure whether this is up. They've given me a, a thing here. Let me see if this works. Does this work? No? Does it work? This way? No? Okay. All right. Did it come up? No? All right. Just follow me. And yay! The book of if hey, thank you, thank you, thank you. Let me just see. Will you let me have a little practice here and see if this works? No. No. Does that go back? No, there we are. Guys, just take care of it back there. <laughs> so the book of Ephesians is written to help us sort out these kind of questions. Who am I? Who is God? Who really is God? Is there a purpose in my life if, we, if I could only tell you the number of people who say to me, I've got to find a purpose in my life? And the biggest question is, is there any hope for me or in my world? 
Paul is praying in this book of Ephesians, and I'm hoping that you will really spend some time in it, that God will reveal to his readers the riches of their inheritance, the riches of their hope, their calling, their glory and power, and he reminds us who we are, that we are the children of God. This morning as we continue, it's taken from the book of Ephesians, and last week we looked at chapter 1, Let's just see if that one comes up. Last week we looked at chapter one. No. Okay. Uh, <laughs> yay. All right. It may take a little while, but they'll get there. Last week we looked at chapter one, and we talked about the fact that in chapter one, God is addressing what grace has done for us, and he helps us to understand our identity in Christ. I want you to know we are blessed we are chosen, we are adopted, we are forgiven, we are accepted, we are sealed. What a beautiful, beautiful thing. This morning we're going to look in chapter 2. And I put the scriptures up on the slides, and uh, by faith, believing, they will appear. And uh, so in Ephesians chapter 2, if you have your Bible, you want to open it or you want to read with me, uh, I'm going to just read four verses, and it's going to give an overview of what this second chapter of the book of Ephesians is. All right, chapter 2 and verse 1, you can see it there. Will you read it with me? Once you were dead, read it with me please. Once you were dead because of your disobedience and your many sins. All right, then we're going to go to chapter 2 and verse 11. Read it with me. Don't forget that you Gentiles used to be outsiders. You were called uncircumcised heathens by the Jews who were proud of their circumcision even though it affected only their bodies and not their hearts. Just stop for a moment. Two things here. Paul is saying, I want you to remember that once you were dead because of your sins. And secondly, once you were outsiders. Let's go then to the next verse. Let's go to chapter uh, 2 and verse uh, 4. Let's read this like we really mean it. But God is so rich in mercy, and he loved us so much. When we were dead in our sins, when we were outsiders, but God loved us so much. And then let's go to the last verse, Ephesians 2 and verse 19. So you now, say, say it with me again. So now you Gentiles are no longer strangers and foreigners. So here's what Paul is wanting us to do. Going back to verse number one, he wants us, if we have come to Christ, he wants us to remember where we were when grace found us. We need to remember where we were. That's why I had you write down that first, that first sentence. What was my life like before I came to Christ? And he wanted us, and, and the Bible wants us, as we try to understand this matter of identity and this matter of who we are in Christ, he says, I want you to remember who you are and where you were. And there are four things. If you're taking notes, you can jot them down. First of all, in verse 1, we understand 
that you lived in sin and disobedience to God. You lived in sin. How many of you can remember those days? Well, I won't ask you to raise your hand. But I think when we go back in our minds and our hearts, we can remember where we were in sin. We can remember exactly where we were. We can remember those things. I love to tell people when I'm leading to Christ, I love to tell people, I say, you know, when I tell them that, that God so loved them, that God loved them and, and he loved them while they were yet sinners and Christ died for them. I love to ask them, and I don't ask them to tell me, I just ask them to put it in their mind. What was the worst thing you ever did? I want you in your mind right now think, what was the worst thing in your life that you think you ever, ever did? Now, you don't have to tell anybody. It'd be like the three preachers, the, the one guy that was out on this boat. And one of them said, this is the time to confess our sins. They were going through a storm. They thought they are going to die. And one preacher said, well, I'm just going to have to confess. said, you know, I've had it pretty well, but I'm an alcoholic. said, man, I tell you, I, I don't know what we're going to do, so you pray for me that God will deliver me from this alcoholism. The second one said, I've had it pretty well, but I've not been faithful to my wife. I want you to pray for me. Pray, this storm's bad. We could die. I want you to pray for me right now. Well, about that time, the sun came out and the storm blew around. The other guy said, my sin is gossip, and I can't wait to get back home. And so, <laughs> so we're not asking you to tell others what that thing was, but I want you to know when you were doing that very thing, God loved you. He loved you when you were whatever it was that you considered to be the worst thing that you have ever done. God loved you, and because of your sin and disobedience to God, you were spiritually dead. You had no appetite for the things of God. You had no appetite for the things that, uh, of coming to the Lord's house. You had no appetite for the word of God. You had no appetite for anything. Last night, my wife, and she is such a dear, wonderful person, we were watching the Buckeye game and rejoicing and uh, watching the game. And Connie said, should we have a pizza for dinner? And I said, oh, yeah. I mean, in my mind, there are no bad pizzas. There are some pizzas that are better than others, but no bad pizzas. I mean, you know, that's the way it is. And I said, yeah, that'd be cool. She said, I'll go get it for you. I said, oh, bless her heart. She said, it might come on earlier I said, Connie, you are the best person God ever created. Let's give her a hand. Amen. She is. But if I was dead when she came in, I'd have had no appetite no matter what it was. I don't care how good it was. If it was a five-course meal, I would have had no appetite, no interest if I was dead. And people say, I don't understand. I just go to church and I'm bored and I can't understand anything. It's because you're dead spiritually and nothing seems to make sense and there is no appetite in your soul for God. And yet you say, well, I, I'm terrible. I, I guess I'm the only one that was like that. No, in verse 2 and verse 1, it says it's just like the rest of us. Just like the rest of us, none of us are better. None of us are worse. We were all in living in sin, and we were dead in our trespasses and sins. That's where we were. 
when grace found us. We were living under the influence of the evil one and the devil. The devil, you need to remember this, the devil has but one desire. He wants to destroy you. And so the way he does it, he makes temptation look so good. He makes temptation look so great. He makes temptation look almost irresistible. And you think you're going to find everything you've ever wanted in that temptation, but instead it brings you to sadness and sorrow and heartbreak and destruction of life. You refuse to obey God. We're not going to do what God says. I know what he wants, but I'm not going to do it. I'm going to do it my own way. My grandson was trying to get a ball undone and trying to get a ball of twine and so forth. I said, son, I'll help you if you want. Oh, no, I can do it myself. I'm, okay. And he kept going all kinds of stuff. It got worse and worse and worse and worse. Finally, he looked up. He said, Grandpa, could you help me? I, I've made a mess of this. That's what happens in our lives. We think, oh yeah, I can make it right, I can do it right, and we just keep trying, 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 and the mess gets bigger and bigger, and the only way that the mess becomes undone is when we bring the mess and lay it at the cross and say, Jesus, here is my life, here is my mess, I've made a total mess of things, will you unravel it, will you unstring it, will you put it back together? And God says, I am glad to help you, son, daughter, I will put your life where it needs to be. Amen. Thank God. If you're here today and your life is in a mess and in a ball of mess, understand that he can unravel those things. You were subject to God's anger, the Bible says. As you go a little further, there is a side of God's anger. We don't talk about it a lot, but I just want to tell you one thing. Sin will find judgment. Amen, David, that's good preaching. Sin will be judged. It will be judged either at the cross of Calvary or you will stand at the judgment bar of God, but make no mistake. Sin will be judged. And the Bible says here in Ephesians chapter 2, and it talks about the fact that we were subject to the anger by our very nature. It says in verse 3, we were subject to God's anger. And you say, oh, I wish God wouldn't just mad at me. No, just like everyone else. Everyone who has not repented of God and repented of their sin finds themselves. Now, make no mistake, Jesus died to spare you from that judgment. Door of mercy is open ajar today so that you don't have to be judged for your sin. But make no mistake, the, door, the day will come when you will stand before the judgment seat of Christ. We need to understand. Thirdly, it says, you are living apart from Christ. You are living apart from Christ. And because of you are living apart of Christ, you found yourself alone. I want that to sink in. Loneliness is the plague of our day. Even when we're with large crowds, we are very alone. Even when we're with people that we think love us, we feel alone. We are feeling alone and we have no idea of grace. 
It was the message that said this, it was only yesterday that you outsiders to God's ways had no idea of any of this. You didn't know the first thing about the way God works, hadn't the faintest idea of Christ. You did not have a clue about what God was doing in the world and you found yourself alone. In the dead of the night when no one else is around, you were alone. Not only were you confused as to who you were, but you were alone. You were apart and not knowing uh, that you were part of God's family. You were alone, not knowing. The Bible says you were strangers to the promises of God. That means that when things were going hard, you had not the comfort of saying, I know that God will be with me. I know that God will hear me. I know that God will provide. We are strangers to the promises of God. And these two words... And it says it in the word of God that we are without God and without hope in the world. That describes nearly everyone I know outside of the church. I want you to think of those people that you work with. I want you to think of your family, and we've talked about next week trying to encourage all of you to bring your families on Harvest Sunday. It's a Thanksgiving Sunday. It's not a great big promotion. I'm just asking you to let's all do our best to see if we can't get families to come together, those that are not going to church, those that are not involved in anywhere, those that are whatever, and try to see how many family members we can get here. But understand if your family member, understand if your neighbor, understand if your workmate, understand if that person that you love is apart from Christ, they are without God. What a terrible place to be. And not only without God, but they are without hope. How many times have I talked to people who have said to me, and they're going through hard circumstances, David, is there any hope? I wish I could say, oh yeah, there's always hope. Here's what I know. There is always hope but it's only to be found in the person of Jesus Christ and in the blood of the salvation of Christ and in the grace of God. Without him, hope gets very shaky and hope is nothing more than a wishful desire. But the Bible says we have a hope that is steadfast and secure and whatever happens, but these people that are far from God, they are without God. They have no one to help and without hope in the world. That's a pretty sad picture, isn't it? Remember where you were. That described me. Didn't just describe you. That described me. When I'm leading people to Christ, I always love to ask the question when it says, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And I'll ask the question, who does all mean? And so is it there? All? I said, does that mean you? Oh yeah, oh yeah, huh? I know I've sinned. What I really like to do is say, does that mean me? And they don't know what to say. You know, I'm the pastor, I'm the preacher. <laughs> I said, no. All means all of us. We've all sinned. We've all without God and all without hope. 
But then this chapter switches. And Paul says, I want you not only to remember where you were, but I also, secondly, want you to rejoice in where you are. I want you to rejoice in where you are in the body of Christ. And when you begin to rejoice in where you are, it'll come up in a minute, and rejoice in where you are. If I had this clicker, I'd click it, but it won't. But it, there we go. Rejoice in where you are. And we need to rejoice today. Here's what the Bible says in chapter 2. But God, who is so rich in mercy, loved us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. Amen. And we can rejoice in where we are. Listen to what the message said. The message says this. It is a wonder God did not lose his temper and do away with the whole lot of us. Could you say amen to that? That's the truth. Instead, immense in mercy and with incredible love, he embraced us. Oh, even when we were dead and without him, he took on our sin-dead lives and made us alive in Christ. And he did all of this on his own with no help from us. Oh, I tell you what, that is rich. And you see, we can rejoice in that Jesus died that he might show us his grace. Yes, Jesus died. Why did he die? So that he could extend grace. Just remember again that justice is getting what you deserve. And when people are marching justice for this and justice for that, and I understand that. But let me tell you what, and I've told you this before. If you give me the choice, I'd rather have grace rather than justice because grace gives us what we don't deserve and grace is simply God's riches at Christ's expense and God's grace and Jesus died on the cross that he can show us grace and this grace has, has done several things for us. Number one, this grace has saved us from that empty life. This grace has saved us from that empty life and no longer do we have to live that empty, alone, uh, dead life trying to find some purpose. God's grace saves us from that empty life and brings new grace into our lives and brings us to the place to where we know by the grace of God we are alive. When I came to Christ, the Bible became a new book. I couldn't get enough of it. I used to read it and think this is the most boring book I ever saw. But after I really gave my heart to Christ, I would read this book and I couldn't get enough and I'd read it and I'd read it. I'd go to every service I could go because I just wanted to hear it. I loved the songs. I would sing the songs. I'd memorize the songs. I'd sing them at work. I'd sing them in the line at the grocery store. I'd sing them everywhere. What happened? I tell you what happened. God made me alive in grace and alive in him and all all of a sudden, everything was new. Praise God. Grace has not only saved us from that empty life, but grace has united us with Christ. And when it says that you who were far away have now been united, here's what it says. It says that he had shown all that he has done for us. This is in verse 7. Who are united with Christ 
Jesus. And then down in verse 13, he said, once you were far away from God. I can remember those days. But now you have been brought near to him through the blood of Christ. And you see, here's what happened. When he united us with Christ, we are no longer alone. We are no longer alone because now Christ is with us. The Father is our Father. The family of God is our family. And no longer are we alone. You say, well, I'm I'm saved, but I still feel alone. Then claim your privileges in Christ and don't let the devil isolate you and keep you away. Let God help you to come part of the whole community and the whole body of Christ until we understand that we are no longer alone. I love this, and the message says this. You who were once out of it altogether, that would be me. Now you are in on everything. (laughs) Isn't that wonderful? God has brought us together. Thirdly, the grace of God has brought peace into our lives. Listen to what it says in verse 14. For Christ himself has brought peace to us. And we have peace with God. Amen. The battle's over. I can remember so many times sitting in a service like this, fighting against God, fighting against what I thought he wanted me to do, fighting against his his whispers, fighting against what he was calling me to do, fighting against what I thought he wanted me to do. Lord, I don't want to do that. I want to do it my way. Lord, I want to do it my way. And the battle would fight and fight and fight. And I'd go to bed at night sometimes, and I'd have this battle raging with with God. But the day I gave my heart to Christ, he put grace in my heart. And I could tell you the battle was over. And I could say, thank God, the battle with God is over. It is finished. There shall be no more war. It is finished. The end of the conflict, it is finished. And Jesus is Lord. And then we have the peace of God. Now what that means is, Wherever we go, whatever our circumstances. You mean I'll never be afraid again? No, didn't say that. But you have the peace of God. And then number four, grace has brought reconciliation. Reconciliation, and I, I have thought as, as we have been in a number of meetings and going through all of this different things and I'm watching what's going on in the culture the beautiful time this Wednesday that Pastor Deborah and I were able to go up to the State House and meet with a number of, of different churches and leaders and pastors, and, and I go around and meet with different ones. And I tell you today, we are more divided than we've ever been. We are divided racially, and it ought not be. We are divided church-wise, and it ought not be. We are divided by our political party, and it ought not be. We are divided by all kinds of things. But I want you to know that it is in Christ. In verse 15, for Christ himself has brought peace to us. He united the Jews and the Gentiles into one people. 
Now, let me, help, let me help you understand something. If he could do that for the Jews and the Gentiles who literally hated each other, he can do that for Republicans and Democrats. Amen, David. That's good preaching. He can do that with people of color and whites. He can do that with Hispanics and blacks and blacks and whites and all of us together. Because here's what it says. In his own body on the cross, he broke down the wall of hostility that separated us. There is no separation in the body of Christ. It doesn't matter what color you are. It doesn't matter how rich you are. It doesn't matter how old you are. It doesn't matter how uh, educated or uneducated you are. This family is the family of God, and we are all the children of God, and we ought to live it in our lives, in our workplaces, and in everywhere we go. We ought to be able to be living as people who are bringing people together, not people who are tearing people apart. Oh, may God help us. And then finally, verse 5, grace has brought us into the family of God. Grace has, brought, grace has brought us into the family of God. No longer strangers. No longer foreigners and feel like you don't belong. No longer citizens of this world but citizens of the kingdom of heaven and you have a place. You are now members of God's family, now together, accomplishing God's purpose. Listen again to what the message says. That's plain enough, isn't it? The kingdom of faith is now your home. You're no longer strangers or outsiders. You belong here. Will you look at somebody and tell them today, you belong here. I'll say it again like you mean it. You belong here. Amen. You do. You belong here. Amen. And will you look back at the person and say, I belong here. And will you look at them and say, we all belong here. Amen. Let's say it together. We all belong here. We're in the family of God. It doesn't matter. And listen what it says. We all belong here with as much right to the name as Christian as anyone else. God is building a home. He is using all of us irrespective of how we got here. <laughs> Isn't that great? Some of us came from godly homes. Some of us came from alcoholic homes. Some of us came uh, through uh, the way of growing up in the church, and some of us never went to church till God's grace was revealed to us. Some of us came wealthy. Some of us came and didn't have enough money to, to put food on the table. Some of us came and we knew all this stuff, but I want you to know God makes not one bit of difference. We all say it. We we all belong here. I want you to know that's where we are. I conclude. There are two things I, I just want to say, but let me say this very quickly. I'll not tell it as it could, and then I want to finish with something we've been through. 
Max Lucado wrote a book a number of years ago. Some of you may have read it. And it's called In the Grip of Grace. And in that book, I can still remember where I was reading it. I was on an airplane making it back from the West somewhere. And I was reading this book, and it came to the place about the picture of grace. And just putting it quickly so that you can put it in context. After King Saul, who had tried to kill David for years, was finally killed, and David was put as king of the nation of Israel. That Saul had a son, a baby son, whose name was Mephibosheth. And when who was, for lack of a better term, the nanny or the child keeper of Mephibosheth, when they heard that Saul was dead and now David was the king, they grabbed up this child, Mephibosheth, and they tried to run and hide, but something happened and she dropped the child and dropped the child on one leg. And from that time on, Mephibosheth's leg never worked right. And he walked with a limp and walked with a cane. After David had been in power for a while, he sent a search party to the home where Mephibosheth was living. Again, they thought that he was coming to kill them, but they didn't understand. David was coming to invite Mephibosheth to live in his home and to live in the palace. He said even though Saul had done evil to him, he was going to be kind to the family of Saul. And so talk about grace. Here was this father who tried over and over and over to kill David, and now David is in power. He could have executed revenge. But rather, he brings this crippled boy, Mephibosheth, and invites him to stay in his home. And Max Lucado, as only he could do, you'd have to read it because I, I can't even say it in, and give it proper dignity, but Max Lucado wrote the chapter about the picture of grace, and he said, can you see it in David's great dining room? And King David comes and sits down, and his beautiful daughter Tamar, and his handsome son Absalom, and all the others of the, the what you would call the the bright and beautiful people. They would be the celebrities of our age, the beautiful people. And they were sitting at the table, and there was one more place. And you could hear coming down the hall an old guy with 
dragging his leg, hitting his cane. It was Mephibosheth. And when he got to that place, they all looked and said, Mephibosheth, you are welcome here. We want you to take your place with us because you are a part of our family now. I think about that and I think about all the great and wonderful saints who sit around the table of God and one day I'm going to kind of draw my way up here and, and they'll say, David, it's okay. <laughs> you're not as good as some. You're not as bright as some. You're not as smart as some. You're not as fast as some. You're not as all that. But I want you to know you're a part of my family and you are welcome at our table and we will all take our seats with Paul and Silas and Peter and Barnabas and James and John and all of the saints down through the ages and all of the beautiful people who have given their lives that there's a place for you because of grace. This is how I close. This week we've been in general board meetings all week. And for those of you that don't understand, that's our denominational fellowship. And I've served on this general board. This will be the last couple of meetings I'll be in. I've served on this board for 33 years, on and off and on and off. And as we were talking this week about our denomination, and we were trying to talk about core values, what do we really hold to as a denomination? And our general superintendent put out these values. I don't know if these are the ones that are going to stay. But here's what he said. We value the Word of God. Amen? I'm glad to be a part of a group that values the Word of God. We value people. Wherever you are, young or old or whatever race, wherever you've been, whatever's going on, we value people. We value the souls of lost people. We value corporate worship. We value the gifts of God's people. We value wholesome fellowship. We value the family of God, and we value diversity. And I was seated beside one of our newest board members. Her name is Dr. Deborah Charles. Originally from the Caribbean, she lives now in Queens, New York, and is helping in a church in Queens. And she was seated beside me, and as we were talking about all these values, she said, you know, I've written it a little different way. She said, maybe this will help or maybe it won't. But here's what she said. We are a family. Just stop there. We are a family. We are not an institution. We are not some big organization. In this church, we are not just an ins we are not an institution. We are a family who values the word of God, values all people, values the church and all its ministries. And we are committed to becoming a Great Commission church and a Great Commission movement. I want you to know something. That's who we are.
That's not only who I am and we are. That's who this church is. If this is your first time here, I want you to know you can be part of the family. If you are part of another body of Christ, and, and maybe not just with us, I want you to know you're still part of the family of God. We're together. And here's what I want to ask you. Where are you this morning? On this compendium of remembering where I was or rejoicing in where I am, do you feel like there's sin in your heart that you need to confess? Do you feel like you need to make a recommitment to God and just simply say, Lord, come into my heart afresh and anew. I've drifted far away from you. I desire to come closer than I've ever been. I desire to get further involved in the family. And if you'll just take your connection card. And I've been trying to figure out how to work with all this. Would all of you just take it for a moment? And down at the bottom on the back side, it says, I want to take a step today. I want to pray a prayer to accept Jesus Christ as my Savior. I'm going to pray with you. And if you will pray that prayer, would you just click that? I would like to be baptized. I know I'm saved, but I'd like to really declare my faith. I would like to know more about this church. There's this church, and we're, uh, we're just trying to minister in ways that will minister to you. You're interested in beginning a relationship with Christ, information on small groups, information on baptism, or some of you may say, you know, I'm not doing anything. I'd like to help in the family. If you have a prayer request or prayer need, I'd like for you to just take a moment. And I want to pray if you want to accept Christ into your heart this morning or pray a prayer of bringing me nearer, Christ. Just pray this prayer along with me. Lord Jesus, you don't have to pray it out loud. Lord Jesus, I know that I have sinned. I know that I am far from God. I want to come and to bring my life I bring the messed up ball of my life and I give it to you. Will you cleanse me? Will you forgive me? Will you come into my heart? Will you renew my relationship with you? Lord, if I feel alone, will you draw me to people that can nourish me and help me? Lord, if I'm not doing anything in the ministry of Christ, help me to find a place where I can exercise my spiritual gift, where I can bring glory to you. Now, if you prayed that prayer, mark it down. 
And we're going to sing in just a minute. And if you want to come and pray over that or you want to come and lay that card on the altar or have someone pray with you to confirm it, we'd like to do that. If not, then you can just drop it in the offering plate when it comes by in just a moment. But if you prayed that prayer, we want to know. We have a gift for you. We want to help you on your journey. If you have a prayer need, we want to pray for you. We're praying every Tuesday, and the men are praying on Sunday night at 6 o'clock, and they're praying for the church. If you need to know more information, we want to get with you. We want you to know that you belong here. Now, Father, thank you for hearing our prayer today. We love you. We praise you. We honor you and we glorify you for your grace today in Jesus name and now will you stand with me and let's sing together with the group as they lead us this is amazing grace this is all that God is wanting to do and let's sing it together let's worship together uh, this is amazing grace come right on up to heaven and this thing this is amazing grace amen let's sing let's stand together this is amazing grace. Amen. Let's sing. lights up just a little bit we would like to honor all of our veterans and if you would bring the lights up and uh, that would be good uh, not down but up and so, <laughs> uh, the house lights up so we can see and we'll wait just a second till they get on because we want to honor our veterans and as soon as we get that up we'll be able to honor our veterans amen are you glad for veterans today? Amen. Are you glad for the United States of America today? All right, we're getting it closer. 
There we go, amazing. All right, if you are a vet, I want you to stand. Stand right now. If you served in any armed service, in anywhere, thank you, veterans. Thank you, veterans. Thank you, thank you, thank you. We have a gift for you, and they're back at the welcome table after service. You may be seated. Our ushers are coming, and you're going to see the offering or the announcement video. Uh, Nan uh, Davis has asked for a five-minute meeting in the back uh, for those who are going on the Zoo Lights trip. And so if you're doing that, uh, five minutes back there. So let's bless the offering. Let's give as unto the Lord. This is Thanksgiving season. Let's give, not because we have to, but give because we love to. And next week is going to be the gift of time when we bring our families and we give a gift uh, for I Love My Church. Father, bless this offering. Bless those who are here. In Jesus' name, amen. If you're visiting for the first time in person, please be sure to pick up our gift to you at the Welcome Center in the lobby. We trust you will enjoy worshiping with us today and hope you will choose Cap City as your church family. Please refer to our bulletin. Fill out the connection card inside with your contact information, prayer requests, and praises. Then place it in the offering at the end of service. We look forward to communicating with you. You are invited to join an all-church prayer meeting each Tuesday from 11 a.m. to noon in the resource room here at church or by dialing in on your phone. Instructions are in the bulletin. Our 24-7 prayer line has returned. Please call one of the key contacts also mentioned in the bulletin with special prayer needs. Lastly, there is a men's prayer meeting Sundays at 6 p.m. here at church. Men, come on out and join together in Christ. We want to take this moment to honor and thank all our veterans who have served our country and kept us safe and free. We appreciate every sacrifice you have made and thank you for your service. God bless you. Thank you for supporting the ministries of Cap City Church. You can give online or by check or cash. See the back of our bulletin for more details. May God richly bless you and thank you for joining us today at Capital City Church. Get ready to leave two things. This is our primary source of information. I hear people say, oh, but I don't read the bulletin. If you want to know what's going on, read the bulletin. If you don't read the bulletin, you won't know what's going on. Read the bulletin. Will you say that with me? Read the bulletin. Okay, this is our primary source of information. Not up here. This is it. Get it and check our website out. God bless you. You're dismissed. Remember ministry leaders over in the chapel for just a few minutes. God bless you. You're dismissed.